Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck, four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Garrison and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. at 94.5 FM. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. The field has officially been set for the 2024 NFL playoffs. The Chiefs have their opponent, as do the rest of the members of the AFC. And the full slate of NFC games is set as well. There's going to be no uh, more discussions, no more projections about who's going to play who. Maybe, I guess, looking later on into the po- to the playoffs, but... For round one for Wild Card Weekend, we got all the matchups set. We're going to spend a lot of time this week breaking down each and every game. Well, what I could do to open up the show is dive into the Chiefs' 13-12 win against the Chargers yesterday. But let's be honest. If you watched that game, uh, you could have compared it to paint drying. It was probably the most unwatchable football game the Chiefs have had all season. Hey, they won, and they won in the final minute of the game. And Blaine Gabbert had a game-winning drive. Cool for him, good for him. But that was just ugly football. Uh, there was no offensive touchdowns in the game. Uh, the scoop and score was cool. Charles Omenihu forcing a fumble. Mike Edwards for the second time this season picking up a ball on the turf and running it back into the end zone. But that was as good as it got. Uh, That was a very boring football game. Uh, There might be some takeaways that we bring up throughout the week as they uh, gear up for the Miami Dolphins and the Tyreek Hill return at Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night. Kickoff will be at 7 p.m. on Peacock, but also for those listening in the Kane City area, you can get that on KSHB, I believe, as well. So you won't need to worry about Peacock. It's more for people that are listening outside of the Kansas City market. But yesterday's game, I think really what it came down to, to me, and this sounds very simple, is 11-6 and six looks a lot better than 10-7 and seven when you look back four to five years from now. Uh, to have 11 wins, only six losses, considering all the hardships he went through this season, all the struggles of the wide receiver room, the offensive line, Patrick Mahomes having a career-worst season, and you feel like this offseason will be a time for Brett Veach to overhaul the wide receiver room. But as we've been bringing up multiple times in the last couple weeks, the playoffs are a different beast. Uh, Once you get there, you throw everything out from the regular season. Uh, You just look at that specific matchup. Uh, If the Chiefs would have gotten the Steelers, yeah, I think we would have talked about how the Steelers were maybe the weakest team in the AFC. It was a great draw because you get them without T.J. Watt. Mason Rudolph, who wasn't starting all year long, would have been the quarterback. Uh, You would have liked Kansas City's matchup in it. But still, I think I would have had to bring up the fact that it's the postseason. I'm not going to bring up a 
week 17 game or a week 18 game. I'm going to bring up how these opponents really match up on paper and what do I expect to happen. But the opponent they actually drew was the Miami Dolphins, who had a chance to really put themselves in a good spot in the AFC playoff picture with a win last night against the Buffalo Bills. They completely choked it away. An absolute choke job in South Beach last night against their division rival Buffalo Bills with the division on the line. A Bills team, I might add, who was 5-5. Five and 5-5 five. Five and five, seven weeks ago. And they go 6-1 and one to close out the season. Uh, so tip your cap to Buffalo because now they've put themselves in quite the position. The best position they've been in, I would say, to get to the Super Bowl. It's not going to be easy for them. And just because they went 6-1 and one in the regular season does not mean that I think they're going to get to the Super Bowl. But I do think if Buffalo would have lost last night, you are looking at a team that is a wild card exit or a divisional round exit. Because they would have had to go to Miami, and if they would have won that game, they would have gone on to face the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. And if they would have won that, they would likely have had to go play Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. So a lot was on the line last night for the Buffalo Bills, but they were the one that stepped up to the plate. I did not trust Sean McDermott in a close situation, but I think it was more so about Miami just choking the game away. Tua was terrible last night. Um, the execution in the second half was god-awful. Uh, special teams gaffes, a 95-yard punt return touchdown, flipped the game on its head. And that, I think, is a team you want to see coming to Arrowhead. Of course, I'm not going to lie and say Miami's a better draw than Pittsburgh because that's just simply not the case. But this is a different Miami team than we saw five to six weeks ago. Six weeks ago. They are incredibly banged up. They are injury-ridden on the defensive side of the football. Offensively, which is what carried them all year long, they're now starting to get banged up once again. Tyreek Hill, who's an MVP candidate, I don't believe he's going to win it, but top five candidate, he's pretty banged up. And Tua now is struggling to find some rhythm, find some consistency. And, oh, one more thing to add about this game well, the Dolphins are 0-10, I believe, in their last 10 games when the temperature dips below 30 degrees, I think it was. Real field temperature at Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night will be negative 10. The high on Saturday, which will likely come during the afternoon before warm-ups, is 18 degrees. It's going to be single digits by kickoff at Saturday night. So you get prime action Arrowhead Stadium and the subarctic temperatures against a team that does not play well in sub-zero temps. Uh, they're going to get that in front of them at Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night. Instead of, right, instead of getting Buffalo for a second week in a row, because if they would have won last night, they won the division, and they have to get Buffalo coming right back to that spot in the following weekend. Which I, I think that might have given Buffalo a little bit of an advantage because you had just lost that opponent. It's hard to beat an opponent back-to-back weeks, especially in the NFL. But now Miami's got the uphill battle.
Because if Miami finds a way to beat Kansas City, where do they have to go to? They have to go to Orchard Park. Actually, I got that wrong. They would have to go to Baltimore because they're the sixth seed. If Kansas City wins on Saturday night, they will have to venture to Orchard Park in the postseason, assuming the Buffalo Bills can beat the Steelers. But I know a lot of Chiefs fans last night were upset at the fact that Miami couldn't hold on because they would have had a real-world scenario in which they hosted the Pittsburgh Steelers if Buffalo would have beaten Miami in the opening wild-card weekend then Kansas City would have gotten the winner of Cleveland and Houston. And then it's Buffalo going to Baltimore and Kansas City maybe hosting another AFC title game. That's now out the window. That's just not going to happen. At bare minimum, the Chiefs are going to have to go on the road one time. I would be absolutely stunned. In fact, the only way that can happen is is if Pittsburgh goes on a rampage, knocks off Buffalo, and then knocks off Baltimore in back-to-back weeks, which is just not going to happen. I think Mason Rudolph would have to turn into just a completely different version of himself because with the Steelers being the seven in this spot, yeah, it wouldn't even matter because Baltimore's awaiting the lowest seed. They'd have to knock off the number one and number two seed now for Kansas City to get that home playoff game. So not going to happen, right? Uh, Pittsburgh is the worst opponent to to root for in that case, to pull off the shocking upsets. Not saying it's impossible, just don't believe it's likely. But we're going to have plenty of talk about Chiefs and Dolphins throughout the week and how this AFC playoff picture broke down. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's that bad of a draw. Uh, the worst-case scenario, I think, would have been a Houston after some of the other teams were eliminated. Uh, Getting C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins and a young, inspired group uh, would have been a little bit problematic for me. Uh, Getting Buffalo, of course, would have been a nightmare scenario. Now I actually like that matchup in Orchard Park if it happens next weekend. I think for the sake of the NFL and the sake of this storied rivalry now is that I want to see Patrick Mahomes play a road playoff game. What better atmosphere to do it than Orchard Park? It just kind of feels like now with with everything the Chiefs have gone through in the playoffs, I think we all hope for an easier path. You're not going to you know, scoff at an easier path. It's still the NFL playoffs, and you want the easiest path to get to the Super Bowl. You would be lying if you said you didn't. Now to get there, though, the most likely scenario is Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, two of those being on the road. I put my money down somewhere. I'm putting it down on the field and not the Kansas City Chiefs. That is just a gauntlet of a playoff schedule. Anything can happen. Just feels like that is a a path that is insurmountable for this group. I just don't see how things are going to get fixed. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. I really am. I'm getting ahead of myself in projecting who Kansas City will play. However... If you are looking for a legacy playoff run for Patrick Mahomes, this would be his best. And really, if they get past Miami and they do have to go to Buffalo and they do have to go to Baltimore, guess what? The pressure is not on Kansas City, even with their championship pedigree. All of that pressure, and there would be immense pressure on Buffalo hosting their boogeyman at Orchard Park in the playoffs to get to the AFC title game. 
Oh, that would be just inconceivable, I would say, pressure for that Buffalo team. Like I said, though, getting ahead of myself, first things first, you have to take care of the Miami Dolphins. But for the first time today, I want to swing it to you, Jake, looking at this opponent in Miami. Everybody wanted Pittsburgh. Because if you get Pittsburgh, you get Mason Rudolph, you get a Steelers defense without T.J. Watt, feels as close to a bye as you could get. And it's likely that if you were to move on in the next round, which the chances would be in your favor, you could have gotten Miami in South Beach for the second weekend instead of Buffalo in Orchard Park. So things were kind of shaping out to be somewhat favorable in your in your case. But for Kansas City, now it's three double-digit win teams if they want to get to the Super Bowl in the Dolphins, in the Bills, and the Ravens. At least that is what I believe it's going to be. But let's start it off with the Miami matchup here. What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And maybe it's an early projection you have about how this game is going to go. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look around the AFC playoffs, right? No playoff picture. We have this. You went through the seeds. You you laid out the matchups. I mean, outside of Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, like Tua doesn't scare me all that much, right? He he just doesn't. I mean, I I wouldn't say I, like. You mentioned C.J. Stroud. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe Flacco's on a heater. Um, I mean, I would put those guys in a different category than Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I don't think two is dangerous when his weapons are available. And I think for me, the story is who's going to be available for the Miami Dolphins, mm-hmm. both sides of the ball, because they had a rash of injuries late in the season. Um, you know, uh, Look, the NFL gods gave us gave us what we wanted when we were all complaining about, are you kidding me, Tyreek Hill coming back to Arrowhead and they're yep. moving it to Germany? Uh, here you go. Um, yeah, and, and I look from the Dolphins' side, and I, I, look, they were I, that game, they were trying to win that game. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. They were, you know, but when you look at the result, if I'm a Dolphins fan outside looking in, I would much rather play the Chiefs in Arrowhead than I would play the Bills second time around. That's just mm-hmm. my that's just my viewpoint. As yeah. if I'm trying to be, as you know, if if there's a time to get the Chiefs in Arrowhead, this is the year to get them. Yeah, right. Because that's you know, before this season, that offense looked unstoppable. You know the the. You know, look, the 19 team is a whole different level. That that team mm-hmm. is is not the same as as the 22 Chiefs um, offensively. Um, but I, I'm just saying, in terms of how dominant they were at home, how how like this is the year you want to get the Chiefs in Arrowhead. So they got it. Um, I I just for for some reason, I, I if I'm if I'm the Dolphins, I don't want the Bills twice in a row beating them. But look, what you're sacrificing is home field advantage. Right, because if you did beat the Bills second time around, you're the two seed, and until the AFC Championship game, you have home field. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how do I think this plays out? I don't know. There are some things that we can take away from the game uh, against the Chargers yesterday. A couple of those things being, you know, we saw both of the tackles leave the game. That's a big deal. That's a big deal for the offensive line. 
Um, we saw McCole Hardman have the McCole Hardman experience, you know, completely giving up on a play and, and, and doing McCole Hardman things, mm-hmm. right? But also he got some, you know, his legs underneath him. I, I thought he looked fairly healthy yesterday, and I think that's a positive. As we've talked all year long, or as long as I've been doing this show with you, mm-hmm. the Chiefs wide receivers have been a topic and a big one. They have. So I think that's a, a good sign. Um you know, it was it really is just like the crescendo of Chris John or Chris Jones getting that sack to put him over that one point two five million dollar bonus. Which, look, I haven't seen the team that excited all year all long. Year. <laughs> yeah. Like I have not seen like when when Bucker kicked that field goal to beat the Bengals. That's not what the sidelines look like. Like when they came back in the fourth quarter and beat the Bengals. That was not what the sidelines looked like. No. So, look, there was some excitement on the sidelines. I think that's a positive. Um, The magic number for the Chiefs is basically 21, right? They they scored over 21 points this year. They're undefeated. And so eh, that defense of the Dolphins is decimated. It's not even close to what it was at the beginning of the year. I think – you know, you could get to 20, 24 points, I think the Chiefs win this game. Yeah. The thing is that we've been talking about as of late, that defense has to that has to has to pull them along. It has to pull them along. And and look, I, I think getting Sneed rest, I think is a big deal. I think getting Kelsey rest, big deal. You know, Pacheco getting rest, big deal. Um so I I I you know, I don't know. We're not in that locker room. We're not inside these players' heads. But you could you could paint a picture, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, that it's like, okay, we just had to get through the regular season, mm-hmm. just get get through it, so we can get to games that actually matter, right? Because these the majority of this roster has played in a Super Bowl and some of them three, right? So they know what the biggest, grandest stage looks like, and you know. The Raiders game on a Christmas day isn't the grandest stage, you know? And it's so you could see how they could kind of put it to the back seat, and now it's now it's go time because they have that pedigree. They have, you know, Andy Reid's going to be dialing up the, the, the best plays he can dial up. They've already seen this team once, and they were the better team. In Germany, they were the better team. They got to Tua. They made, and, and, and Miami had their full array of weaponry, mm-hmm. you know? So on a neutral site, the Chiefs were a better team. I I fully expect that to be the case. Um, it, it's look. It's not. It's not. It's not the team I would would have had handpicked. Mm-hmm. Right? You mentioned it. I'd take the Steelers all day long. You, you give me Mason Rudolph. Yes. Yeah. You give me a Steelers. No T.J. Watt. Yes. That's the team I would have picked. And they were very close to that happening. Um, but the Jaguars did not feel like participating, and neither did did the Dolphins. So um, I I think right now the numbers at the Chiefs are a three and a half point favorite. I think that's I I think that's a pretty good number. I think the Chiefs uh, win this game something like twenty four twenty one. I think there's a big defensive stop at the end of the game stopping Tua. But the real question, as I as I mentioned off the front run, is is Waddle going to be available? Yeah. Is Mostert going to be available? Mm-hmm. Right. Those two guys are 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 big time pieces. 
to this Miami Dolphins offense. You know, Mostert led the league in rushing touchdowns, set a Dolphins record in, in offensive touchdowns. So uh, that's a big piece. Um, and Waddle, if there's not another guy on the other side of Tyreek like like Waddle has been all year, yeah. he's just not the same. He's just not the same. Um, and and Tua's not the same without both of those guys and his two stud running backs. So, you know, full ray of weaponry. Um, you know, and, and did McDaniel decide, hey, these guys could go, but we're already in. Mm-hmm. We're already in. I'm going to yeah. give them another week of rest and make sure that they're at the at the high best health they, they could possibly be in going into the playoffs. So I kind of feel like that was the case. And I kind of expect Waddle and Mostert to be playing. And if that's the case, then saddle up. You, you got the best, the biggest story, the best matchup of the weekend coming in here Saturday night at 7 p.m. on Peacock. So, uh, uh, look, it's I, I think the Stafford uh, golf story is fantastic. One B, it's one B. But mm-hmm. I think Tyreek coming back to Arrowhead is one A, and I think that's why they took took this game and put it at that spot because this is. This is the pre- premium spot. They put the Chiefs at the premium spot. They did that because, look, my brother lives out in San Clemente, California. If he wants to see his Chiefs, guess what he's going to have to do? Either steal my password or, <laughs> or like most, most people, purchase. you're going to have to purchase Peacock. And that's, yep. this is a business. This is a business, man. And, uh, and that's, that's why they did it. That's why the defending champions are playing at, you know, Saturday night, right in prime mm-hmm. time. Um, so, we get it here. It's going to be awesome, man. It, it's no more speculation, no more playoff pictures, no more, oh, if the playoffs were today, yep. this is what it would look like. We have them. They're set, and it's uh, it's the best time of the year, man. And I almost think, you know, to your point about Miami, I, I know everybody wanted Pittsburgh, and I still would have wanted Pittsburgh. But with the way this team has played all year long, like I just know that would have been the most frustrating playoff game the Chiefs have ever had. It would have been like 17-7. to It's close to the fourth quarter because they would have looked at Pittsburgh as well. This is kind of a bye week. It's Mason Rudolph, and the Steelers would have hung around. This offense wouldn't have erupted on Pittsburgh. Still, a win would have been a win. But I almost envision a better version of this group because of what's at stake here and the storyline, to be honest with you. I thought Kansas City's defense had its best game of the year against the Dolphins because, one, opponent, two, it was the Tyreek Hill return game, and they held him in check for the most part. Two in that Dolphins offense only got 14 points. That, to me, was the most impressive all year long because of what was at stake, who they were going up against. And I'm kind of glad that it's Miami for round two here, and it's at Arrowhead Stadium. It's Tyreek Hill coming back for the first time. And, oh, let's just keep bringing up the fact of – This team can't play in cold weather. That's another great element to this game is that something does have to give, right? Uh, For Kansas City, you look at uh, this playoff atmosphere. Arrowhead uh, sometimes can notch it up a a dial or two when playing an opponent like this. You know, last year I was actually at the game against Jacksonville. It was a good playoff atmosphere, but everybody in in the stadium knew it was Jacksonville. Everybody was concerned about, well, what if Cincinnati comes here? That's what's going to be different. And it was for the AFC title game. I think this adds a different element to Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night. As Jake brought up, it's prime time. It's Peacock. 
It's Tyreek Hill. It's the Dolphins. It's kind of the, I don't want to say the Dolphins, the the new young and fun team of the AFC playoff picture, but they kind of are. Like, this is the first year we get to see, really, Mike McDaniel with Tua and Tyreek in the playoffs. Because last year, we were blessed with Skylar Thompson at Orchard Park, who did play very well. Miami could have won that football game, which does give you pause, right, of, well, if they were able to do that last year to a damn good Buffalo team, they could easily do it to the Chiefs and this Chiefs team at Arrowhead. I do agree with that, but it's just shaping up to be such a storybook opening weekend. You know, you get Matt Stafford returning to Detroit, their first home playoff game in 30 years. Uh, You get Tyreek Hill coming back to Arrowhead Stadium. You know, you're going to have great matchups, I believe, like Green Bay and the Cowboys. You get old versus new with Cleveland and Houston, Joe Flacco versus C.J. Stroud. There's not a single game that I'm looking at and going, ah, you know, it's just not really worth my time. Playoff football, of course, whoever is playing, I'm going to watch it. It's do or die. It's fun. I feel like the only game that's like that is the Bills-Steelers. That like, is true. I'm like, but like, eh, but nah. my 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 thought is though too is like last year I had the exact same thought with Miami because Skylar Thompson was playing. Like I looked at it, I said there. I think the spread was like 14 as well. It's like there's no way that Skylar Thompson is going to make this game close. He did. Yeah. yeah because yeah. Buffalo. Let's be honest. Yep. They tense up in moments like this. And now Pittsburgh, no, I I think they're going to have to win this game 14 to 13. And that's the only way they can win. Mason Rudolph is not going to throw all over that group. I, I think know. I think the loss of TJ Watt is just so massive. It is. I just so it massive is. like and it, it it sucks because like TJ Watt playing I'm like, okay. They could, fa- yeah, yeah, they could slow down. Yeah, they could slow down a little fact bit. That, the fact that he's gone and it's Mason Rudolph like it's just like Look, you said it right before I interrupted you. It's playoff football. Yeah, so, yeah I'm anything. In. I'm in. I'm in. But it's still, it's just like, man, it's it's just. I, I would be, I would be shocked if the Bills don't take care of business. I don't. I I don't think this game has any business being close. Um, and I guess it'll say it, it. I will say that it will show us how serious the Bills are, <sighs> right? Because we we look. They've gone on a a, a five. Five and one run, right? It's kind of not trying to digress by any means, but it's like Chiefs had a chance to finish them off. They re- and they <sighs> didn't, and it's like you know that's just that's just the karma of this whole situation because that you know if that was the case, that game wouldn't have meant the, meant the same thing as mm-hmm. it did last night for the Dolphins and the Bills. But I digress. It, it'll show. Look, the Bills have played to their opponent's level. Uh, some people just say, "Hey, that's just Josh Allen being." A winner, and and sometimes I say that, and sometimes it's like last night Josh Allen was doing Josh Allen things. Mm-hmm. Three turnovers in the red zone for the Bills, right? So Josh Allen was doing Josh Allen things. Two picks and a fumble inside the yep. twenty, and so, um, but they still pulled it off. But it did take a uh, just an outstanding punt return for ninety five yards. I mean that that was. <laughs> Buffalo doesn't win that game. No, they, there's just absolutely. no way they, they win that game. No they shit. had no momentum because they still got stopped fourth and one late. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, but that's also you know to a bad pick at the end. But we did see something on that last play, mm-hmm. second down when Tua threw that interception to wrap. Uh, Tyreek Hill was limping off the field on that play, and he kind of felt like he was limping a lot of that right. game. He was getting just blown up right. every time he was, you know running some cross over the middle of the field. I mean, Buffalo was waiting to 
you know, wreck him uh, at that point. But, you know, with, with Miami, and I guess that Buffalo game as well, like, only reason I'd see Buffalo struggling is that, let's be honest, they know who's up next uh, if they are to win their game and if Kansas City is as well. They know how massive that game is. Even though it's not an AFC title game, it's Kansas City. It's the team they so desperately want to beat and have so much poisonous venom toward. It would be a fantastic matchup. But first things first, you get the Chiefs and Dolphins Saturday night on Peacock. We will have plenty of breakdown every single episode this week. Should be a fun one as we gear up for Wild Card Weekend. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, let's dive into some college basketball talk. All three teams opened up conference play. Kansas had a controversial win. Kansas State blew out UCF. And now Missouri is slumping a little bit after they lost to Georgia at home. College basketball talk next on ESPN Kansas City. Back here on the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. All three local teams were in action on Saturday. It was a fun weekend of sports. We had lots of college basketball. Always fun. The opening weekend of conference play. Uh, We finished up the NFL regular season. So there is going to be so much to dive into, not only today, but tomorrow. Probably going to bleed into that a little bit just because of all that went on in the NFL. But I wanted to make sure, in a timely manner, we can cover what happened in the Big 12 and the SEC, beginning with the Missouri Tigers, who fell at home to the Georgia Bulldogs to open up SEC play. I understand how where Missouri is at uh, in their overall uh, rebuild, I should say. I think I still think you can count it a rebuild, even though Dennis Gates took them to the NCAA tournament last year, won one game before falling to Princeton before the Sweet 16. But this is still a a work in progress. This is a bit of a rebuild. And I think everybody could have seen maybe this type of season happening from Missouri. They lost a lot of talent last year. And I didn't think they hit the portal especially hard. Uh, Tamar Bates was a nice addition. Connor Vanover was a nice addition. Uh, Having Sean East, Noah Brown, Nick Honor back, those were all very key to this team. I I just think you have to go back to the Minnesota game to me. Uh, So this was four games in. Missouri had already lost. They got thumped by by Memphis and Columbia, 70-55. to Then they played this Minnesota team. That was projected to be the worst team in the Big Ten. And at one point in the second half, they're trailing by upwards of 17, 18 points. Now, they they came back and won that basketball game. That still, to me, though, was the the telltale sign of, hmm, maybe they're not as good as some are expecting them to be. And lo and behold, the game after that, they lose to a winless Jackson State team at the buzzer 73-72. And since they went to Lawrence and took on Kansas and hung around, let's be honest, hung around for the majority of that game, they just haven't been very good. Lost to Seton Hall, uh, pretty dominated that game despite the six-point loss. It, it really felt like a late surge, a late comeback to make that thing manageable. Illinois beat the brakes off of them. And then Georgia, early on in that game, had a 17-point lead in the first half. That seems to be the big issue for Missouri. They're always playing from behind. They are always playing catch-up. And it doesn't get any easier, <laughs> let's be quite honest. They're going to get Kentucky in Lexington tomorrow night. 
Not good. Then they get a South Carolina team who I actually just watched their game on Saturday. Only one loss. A incredible, I didn't know South Carolina was capable of having a college basketball crowd like that. Fun one against Mississippi State. They have one loss this year. So look at them in Columbia. Then they're going to get the uber-talented Alabama team in Tuscaloosa and Nate Oates. Anytime you face Nate Oates in conference play, it's a tall task. There are three games right there where when you look up, on January 20th, Missouri could be 8-9. and nine. And at that point, you just say, it ain't in the cards this year. This team is not going to the NCAA tournament. And it's not even to bring up the fact that they are going to have to go to Texas A&M, to South Carolina. They're going to have to go to Ole Miss, who has been top 25 this year. they got to host Tennessee. Uh, it's always going to be tough to go to Fayetteville and beat Arkansas and Bud Walton Arena, even though they lost by 32 to Auburn over the weekend. They're going to have tough opponents on their schedule, and if you get to 13 losses before the SEC tournament, which now they are seven games away from, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And I just don't know where Missouri's going to hit its stride. I thought after the close loss to Kansas that would have been their spark. We haven't seen it. We've seen the absolute opposite. They don't play well against good teams. Uh, They don't really step up to the task, and I think that's because of a lack of a true prospect talent last year I think they had NBA talent on that squad and it showed what type of coach Dennis Gates really was he can elevate players I just don't think this group can elevate much more I think this team is is going to rattle off a couple of wins probably have a few upsets as the way conference play works I just don't know how they're going to be good enough for an extended period of time to rattle off four or five in a row in SEC play What made them a tournament team last year was that in the non-con, they won 10, 11, 12 games. Their only loss was Kansas at home. And then they found ways to knock off some opponents early on, take care of business. You can't lose to Georgia at home to open up conference play and expect things to be really different. Tomorrow night, likely not going to be favorable for them against Kentucky. I'm not going to even say that. I mean, it's not going to be a win. Uh, Kentucky should handle them with ease just based off that matchup alone. So something does have to change if they're an NCAA tournament team. However, the positive you take away is that Missouri's got a really good recruiting class coming in next year. I think every fan and people on the coaching staff looked at this group and said, if we get there, great, we're still coaching to get this team to the NCAA tournament. But when you really look top to bottom at the roster, you look at the schedule they had, It was going to be an uphill battle for them, and I I think we are seeing that in full display. They are 1-4 over their last five. Their lone win coming in Central Arkansas, who is one of the bottom teams in Ken Palm. Just not overly impressive so far this year. When put up against good competition, they do not thrive. They have beaten two Power 5 schools, if I'm not mistaken, Pittsburgh and Minnesota. Those are the only two Power 5 schools they've beaten so far. And it ain't going to get easier at all in SEC play. And it begins tomorrow night against the Kentucky Wildcats, who are ranked sixth in the country. So brutal start for Missouri in SEC play. As for Kansas, they had their work cut out for them on Saturday against TCU. Uh, It's the same thing over and over again with Kansas and their close games this year. You know, you have someone like Travion Tennyson, who had never hit more than three three-pointers in a game, he goes six of eight against Kansas. Couldn't miss. I mean, look, 
identical to Steph Curry in his release. I mean, he was just firing things up and it was going in. You know, it's funny because uh, this year he had an 0-for-4 performance, a 1-for-2. He had played less than 10 minutes, like in seven or eight games before this. He had 11 minutes in the game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi five days before Kansas. Then he gets, or excuse me, that was 11 points. He, he hadn't played, you know, many minutes off the bench. He had, he had 19, 17, 14 minutes. I mean, he's averaging... 22.2 minutes per game. It's just, it feels like every time Kansas plays somebody, somebody's got to pop off like that. And Travion Tennyson was that guy. As for Kansas, the guy who was the dominant factor for them, Hunter Dickinson. 30 points, 11 rebounds in his Big 12 opener. However, I'm sure everybody wants to hear about the controversial play at the end, or at least close to the end. The flagrant one on former Jayhawk Ernest Uday who had a wild elbow hit the jaw of Hunter Dickinson. There were a lot of people saying it was a soft call. You can't call it in that moment. I do have a couple of thoughts on it, and I don't want anybody listening to take this as being biased, saying, oh, it's a bad call. I think truly it was very 50-50, but by the rule book, by the definition, definition, it is a flagrant one. I think it comes down in the moment, you know, how egregious it really is, if it looks intentional. It doesn't have to be intentional, the thing, for a flagrant one. It is an elbow to the face or to the head. Anytime that happens, it is going to be reviewed. And I think why so many fans were upset, or at least anti-fans of Kansas are, are rooting against them, as I'm sure the majority of the college basketball world was. You have TCU on the road at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, no team, I think, since Iowa State in 2000 2001 had beat Kansas at home in back-to-back years. So before Bill Self was even there, and TCU had a great chance to do so. What TCU did to kind of screw themselves over, though, is after... Ernest Uday gets that ball, and Hunter Dickinson's on the floor. They stop their own fast break. But the officials are not going to stop it if you are actively moving forward. If you are pushing the ball in transition, they are not going to stop play. They would have waited for that play to conclude and then stopped play, reviewed it, called it a flagrant one, but Kansas is maybe down four at worst at that moment. So the best they can do is tie or take the lead instead of the scenario they got where they tied it and then had the chance to take the lead. That, to me, I think was TCU's biggest flaw. They stopped their own fast break because they turned around to give the ball back, which allowed officials to halt the game. The second takeaway I have from this, the outrage is there because of the moment it happened. If this exact play happened with 13 minutes to go, there's not a a countrywide discussion. I think, too, if it doesn't happen to Hunter Dickinson, it's not as much of an a, a outrage. It's really not. Not a lot of people like Hunter Dickinson outside of Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, he's known to be a bit of a flopper. However... Ernest Uday, I don't believe it was intentional at all. He's just a very sporadic player. He's got a lot of arms moving around, a lot of arms flailing, and he had his forearm catch the jaw of Hunter Dickinson, trying to clear space. And I listened to, uh, uh, who was it? It was Jay Wright and 
Seth Davis. Seth Davis. Yeah, it was Seth Davis breaking down that that play, and both of them said, "Yeah, it's a flagrant one foul." Yeah, but you're always going to have the well. All the calls happened for Kansas at Allen Field. There were even national pundits. Doug Gottlieb said you're playing eight on five in the fog. You know, uh, Fran Fraschilla not only said you know it's a weak call, but Hunter Dickinson traveled on the last play, the the go ahead bucket with three seconds to go. I'm not going to sit here and say the game was perfectly officiated. I just think that where the initial response to it was, how do you call a flagrant one in that spot? Uh, to give Kansas two free throws and the ball after TCU just turned them over, I think that was the big issue more than anything, and with 50 seconds to go. I mean, if they don't call that, it's a common foul, TCU gets the ball, they probably hang on and win that basketball game. There was still time left. They would have had to knock down some free throws. I just had the belief that they would have won that basketball game. And since it was robbed at that point, I think a lot of people, not just TCU fans, were very upset by it. Though the rule book, the textbook definition of a flagrant one is that any time you've got an elbow or a forearm to another player's head or jaw or nose, anything like that, to clear space, it is going to be called. And Ernest Uday, because he kind of knocked the ball away, wasn't intentional, but with his arm flailing back, it cleared space for him to get the basketball. That's just where a young player might have to be more controlled. Can't have arms swinging back and and hitting people. Because if he didn't, if he just reached out there to grab the ball or maybe his forearm hit Hunter Dickinson in the chest, I don't don't think it's going to be called. Bill Self also said in the postgame that uh, Hunter Dickinson did a good job of selling it. If he doesn't fall on the floor, I don't know if they review it, to be honest with you. I really don't. Think about it. If he gets hit in the face and he kind of grabs his his mouth and he looks like he's gotten hit, but he keeps jogging down the floor, they don't stop play. They may go back and review it, but that's a big maybe. He had to sell it by toppling over and laying on the ground. No, that's just kind of the player he is. I just think, though, it, it really comes down in that moment not of a matter of if it's a flagrant one, because it is. I think that it's more so about when it was called. That's why we're discussing it. That's why there was an outrage. This happens with 13 minutes to go, same exact play. It's not being talked about because it was a flagrant one. It's like in Kansas City when we talk about the, the holding call and the Super Bowl, the, the Chiefs and Eagles. The outrage of it was not oh, that's not holding at all. It was always about you can't call it in that moment. The textbook definition was that James Bradbury held Judas Smith-Schuster. It was a hold. The outrage is you can't call it with a minute or so to go. Let it play out. I think a lot of people watching the Kansas TCU game was not, that's not a flagrant one. I think it was you got to let that play out. You, You can't call that. But the definition is it was a flagrant one. Kansas held on for yet another conference opener. They're now 13-1 and on the season. They have not lost since November 21st all the way back uh, in that Maui Invitational. Up next, they will play Wednesday night on the road against UCF, a new Big 12 opponent who just took on Kansas State in Manhattan and got the doors blown off. Uh, that game was never close. And for Kansas State, good for them. Because this was a team that was struggling to beat. You know, a lot of opponents that were 
far inferior to them. But against Kansas State, UCF just never got things going. K-State opened up a 12-0 lead, never looked back. That game was never, never close. The Wildcats didn't have to sweat it out. Tyler Perry had his best game as a Wildcat, 25 points, 6 of 11 from deep, 5 of 5 from the free throw line. Uh, David Gasson, very aggressive on the glass. He had 14 rebounds in this game. Only 5 points on 1 of 6 shooting, but if you get 14 boards from David Gasson, you will take that. Uh, Cam Carter gave him 12. Will McNair, I thought, some really good minutes in the front court with 11 and 6. And Arthur Kaluma, uh, though he was not great from the floor, great from the free throw line. He was 7 of 9 there. 14 points, 6 boards, 4 of them offensive. And Dorian Finister, uh, 18 minutes off the bench for the youngster. He gives him 6 points. And Kansas State, who really early on last year shined in conference play, uh, they made a pretty big statement. I think beating UCF that way opened up some eyes again that, hey, K-State's not going anywhere. Uh, They are not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Though they only beat Chicago State by seven, uh, they needed overtime to beat North Alabama and Oral Roberts. It is a team that when put up against competition like that, they still can do this. Now they get the worst team in the Big 12 Coming up tomorrow night at 6 p.m., still a road test. That's going to be a little bit tougher considering they've only had one true road game this season. But that's going to be interesting. It's it's tough to win in Morgantown sometime, and it's tough to win on the road in the Big 12. But that's good to grab that first one in conference play. Uh, When there's no controversy, uh, there's no slow start. I mean, K-State played flawlessly, I thought. Great tempo, great defense, holding a a Power 5 opponent by definition to just 52 points. That's great for them. Huge step forward for Kansas State and Jerome Tang. Now they will take on West Virginia on the road uh, tomorrow night. It'll be a 6 p.m. tip, and it will go to you live on ESPN+. Before we close the show out tonight in our final four minutes, just want to do a quick breakdown of the granddaddy of them all tonight. It'll be the national championship between Michigan and Washington. The Wolverines open up as a four-and-a-half-point favorite, the total at 56-and-a-half. It'll kick off at 6.30 on ESPN. You also can listen to it over on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I believe Jake and I discussed this last week. Uh, I think it would have been on Tuesday of last week going over this game, just doing uh, more of a, a look ahead than anything, is that Michigan is a team that wants to muddy up the football game. They want to keep it low scoring like it was against Alabama. They want to win it with their running game, with their defense, whereas Washington, they want to erupt offensively. They want the explosive plays. They want Michael Penix to throw the ball all over Michigan, and that is what it's going to come down to. Which version of this game is going to be played? I do not believe Michigan has played an offense like this, But on the contrary, Washington has not played a defense like this. So my projection for tonight's game, though I am rooting for the Washington Huskies, I think Michigan gets it done tonight in a thriller. I think it's going to be under 30 points for both teams. So the total in that, in my opinion, is not going to hit the over. So I will take Michigan uh, to win this football game, but I'll take Washington plus the points. Jake, your prediction on this, just so we can have it down here on paper uh, to discuss tomorrow. Oh man, um, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'm rooting for Washington. Um, man, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch 
the defensive line of Michigan go against that offensive line of uh, Washington? Mm-hmm. Um, you said four and a half was what it's at right four now? Four and a half right now in favor of the Wolverines. Uh, you know what? I'll take Washington in four and a half. I mean, I, I, I don't have anything other than I believe in Michael Penix. I believe in the wide receivers of Washington. Um, I Probably going to be Jim Harbaugh's last game mm-hmm. as the head coach of the Wolverines. So that should be interesting to watch. But, you know, just with a wild hair, I, I'll say Washington plus four and a half. I think Michigan probably still wins this game, but I, I think it's going to be a close one. I think we're going to see a great one, honestly. I, I think – when you bring up you know uh, Jim Harbaugh for this, it was already reported today that he's got interest in the Raiders' job. He's got interest in the Chargers' job. So he could be coming to the AFC West next year. So lots of coaching turnover. We'll discuss that uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. To me, it's going to come down to whether he wins or loses tonight's game. Uh, maybe in the end it really doesn't. I think if he loses, he'll be gone by Friday. I think he will take another job uh, just because when you lose at that point in the season, it's hard to win 13 games in a row and then 14 in the national championship. I think he wants to get back to the NFL. It was reported he wants to get back to the NFL. You lose this game, I don't think there's really a need uh, to go back and do this whole thing over again with all of the the dark haze that's surrounding Michigan. Absolutely gone. I and then if he wins way, though, too, yeah, if he wins, he can go. Hey, I won a national championship, and if we get penalized, I know it sounds so selfish. I don't think Jim Harbaugh would do this, but if it comes out they get some pretty severe penalties for the sign stealing scandal, guess what? He's not there. He's in the NFL. You're not going to punish an NFL coach uh, when he's coaching somebody else the and Pete not that Carroll university. Effect. Exactly. <laughs> and he could be a guy that can turn around a Raiders or a Chargers team in one year. But for us, that's going to do it for another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM in Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m. You take it easy, Kansas City. I'll have to pack my things and go. That's right, hit the road, Jack.